Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema <laughs> Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com. You can also listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple's Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Today I am joined by a fellow film critic that I got to know on Twitter, and he has his own podcast and his own website, uh, Colby Told Me, and I'm Please be joined today by Colby Mack. Thank you very much for joining me. Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Colby Mack, and thank you for having me, Ryan. What? Uh, the first question is probably, it's, it's. I, I was kind of curious, what got you into, what, what was it that first got you interested in a movie? Man, um probably all the movies I wasn't supposed to watch that were available when I was a kid. Um, I feel like I lived in a household that had access to like a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. And my dad and my stepdad, they were in the movies. So who was, whosever house I was at, there's mm-hmm. always VHS tapes around and they watched it all. Westerns, sci-fi action, dirty movies. So um, <laughs> probably like around the age of like four, it's like the the earliest memory I can recall of being in front of a TV and like just like just completely like enthralled watching Harlem Nights with Eddie Murphy and <laughs> with Richard Pryor and everybody. I'm like, I've got no busy watching it, no business watching this, but I've watched it over a hundred times easily. Nice. Uh, what eventually um, inspired you to decide to uh, write about movies and talking about movies yourself? Um, not being able to get work in movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I mean I've I've been I've been in the entertainment industry for a very long time. Um, you know, I was doing spec work, commercial work as a kid in New York, and a lot of you know theater and stuff like that. So I've always had a heart for performance. So acting was the most natural thing that I can be able to do, and I did the actor thing. I'm mm-hmm. still technically doing the actor thing. Moved out to LA, spent a few years out there. And no matter what, my love for movies was always around. So if I'm not talking about movies with friends or family members, then somebody's got to value an opinion. So I said, you know what? Let me, you know, um, let's see where this can go. You know, uh, I don't know if there needs to be like certain credentials to be a critic, but I figured, all right, you know what? I'll let my thoughts out. And I would do it sporadically, but I said, you know what? I found this nice little, you know, uh, catchy <laughs> little little phrase Kobe told me. I was like, I'm gonna make this bitch stick. <laughs> so in November of uh, 2018, I said, all right, I'm gonna put out my first hashtag. Kobe told me. So when they asked you where you heard it from, hey, Kobe told you, um, and it's been sticking ever since. It's been a nice, nice journey. Nice. Uh, who are what are some of the uh, films that probably that had the biggest impact on you growing up? Oh man! Um, because of where I grew up in South Florida, um, you know, in the late '80s, early '90s, obviously action was like the biggest thing that I can remember to take away. And action, and then comedies. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the earliest film that I remember is uh, Harlem Nights and watching it over a hundred times. So Eddie Murphy was a hero for me. So I watched everything Eddie Murphy. And I said, I want to, I want to watch that guy with the mustache, right? So. Um, you know, Eddie Murphy is such a big influence. All of his films, The Golden Child, 48 Hours, Beverly Hills Cop. Um, my all-time favorite movie is Coming to America. It's a it's a masterpiece, in my opinion. Uh, one of the greatest comedies, you know, ever. And 
from there, I just kind of every movie that I watch with him, I would find more and more, you know, um, artists to just fall in love with, you know, like with Tommy Davidson and with, um, you know, the Waynes family and like with Keenan Ivory Waynes and watching him inside of like a low down dirty shame. And then it just kept kind of sprawling and creating like this spider web. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd watch a movie and then find somebody new and like, and I want to watch their movie and their movie. So. I watched so, so much, but I mean, those big action movies of the 90s, you know, you can't go wrong with them and stuff like that. All the, the ones that you're supposed to watch, for the most part, I've watched. I've definitely got some blind spots that I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, definitely rec- I definitely identify with you saying, you know, one film sort of leads you to another's. You see somebody in that or you become familiar with a filmmaker that leads you to another film mm-hmm. leads you to another film and basically just spirals from there. I yeah. that was that was that was definitely part of my process when it came to getting into movies and really starting to watch movies on a more critical level and watching more movies on a critical mm-hmm. level. Yeah. And, uh, and, th- and and there's definitely like a difference between that like I've been a movie fan since I was 4 years old, yeah. but I've been a film critic probably for like the past, you know, two to four years in which i mean i mean granted i was able to have conversations where i could always separate like my pure enjoyment of a film as like a spectator as opposed to like when you're a film critic you play an active role into this film's success and i believe that wholeheartedly right Mm -hmm. like if you identify yourself as a critic you are using your platform some people their prestige to influence people with your words on the reception of a film has with you Mm -hmm. and i think that that is a different role that you assume as opposed to just like being a spectator right i personally think that i can have a good balance of being able to do both some folks not so much some folks have been a critic for so long where they cannot turn on that pure spectator like thing and it sucks i mean it's their right to do it that way you know Mm -hmm. i just feel like that kind of wipes away the love um that you got into this war yeah, and I it was funny because I've been I've been interested about writing about films for going on twenty plus for twenty plus years. And I started to have I once I started to really hone in on that critical eye of mine, it did get to a point like kind of early on where it's like, Am I really able to enjoy a movie anymore? And <laughs> then uh it was funny, it was Con Air actually oh, that wow. I, I watched him like Okay, I can still enjoy movies. Mm-hmm. I can still enjoy just watching a movie for entertainment value. And, you know, yes, there are things about it that now I look on and it's like, oh, that's pretty cringeworthy. Um, but the fact of the matter is that enjoyment just doesn't really go away. And so it's, yeah, trying to figure out that balance between just enjoying a movie and being able to appreciate the critical aspects of it in addition to the entertainment value, I mean, that that is something that I think it's, it's, it's tough. There is a process, process that comes to that. Yeah, it's, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I don't think that there's a right way for everyone. I think everyone has to find what's that yeah. right way for them. But I, I law, as long, personally for me, as long as they identify that that is a journey that they have to be on, I think that's what brings about an honest interpretation of how a film can affect people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you as a film critic are disseminating your opinion 
to fans of you, people that were like respect, like respect you, right? And I think that's you know for folks out there that are listening, don't we didn't get to this and be like I'm gonna be a super famous film critic and make millions of dollars because that's not it. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a passion and a love mm-hmm. that is essentially a really cool hobby in my opinion. Yeah. Who who are some of when you started to uh, write about films? Are there any particular writers that uh, you look to for inspiration? Man, um, not particularly because honestly, and, and this is something that I'm still trying to reconcile with myself. Right, I would say that I'm a gifted writer, and I've had a gift for writing at an early age. I was able to like see the benefits of that in high school and college doing writing competitions and stuff. And obviously I write screenplays, but I, I was going to cuss, forgive me. <laughs> I, I, that's fine. If you do. great. Um, I fucking hate reading. Uh, <laughs> I am not a big reader. Not that I can't like, I'm actually yeah. a really, really dope. Keep in mind. I used to be paid to be a reader, you know, for a production company. Right. Mm-hmm. I just, like I haven't read like a novel or like I, I have I haven't read a non screenplay since like the tenth grade of high school. Like I just I don't enjoy it. Like my mind works on that that plane where if you're gonna tell me a story, you can tell it to me visually, right? Mm-hmm. So I just I, I don't have the patience for it. like it's whatever, right? I get completely sucked out, and I've tried. I really really have, and I'm pretty sure there's some great texts and some great authors. So I was never typically attracted to reading a film review. One, I wanted to be able to know for myself. There's some people that yeah. like, you know, like to be able to do both. Um, there were outlets that I paid attention to, and I feel like I do better getting a general sense about a film and its performance and its reception, as opposed to saying, hey, let me go to RogerEber.com and check out this specific film critic. I mean, now that I've been doing it, there's critics that I respect who are in my circles yeah. that like I want to make sure to get their opinion. But most of the time, I'm really only digesting what they write after I've already formulated my own opinion, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. um, so I've got I've got some favorites, you know, um, there, you know, Clayton Davis over, at, you know, uh, Awards Watch and, you know, Matt Negley from Next Best Picture, um, you know, my guys over at In Session Film, Feeling Film, you know, everybody who pretty much I pod with, you know, mm-hmm. those are the voices I respect. And typically, give me your podcast because it's going to be essentially what you're talking about there. And yeah. I'm battling now because like the first full year that I was writing in like 2019, like really committing like full, full length reviews, I was writing everything and I quickly burned myself out. So like I haven't touched my site (laughs) in like six months, but I also understand that to play this game in this industry, the writing part still matters as great as this voice is. The writing part still very much matters to a lot of folks, you know, at PR firms, with the studios and stuff like that. So I got to get back to it because I think also it's good to be able to see different forms of writing and how it can be able to help enhance your writing, right? Mm-hmm. I got I to gotta get to it. If you have any recommendations of folks that I should be reading, um, I will take them. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, the thing is when I first started writing about movies, it's like Roger Ebert, Leonard Malton, those were a couple of the big critics that I really paid attention to. Um, you know, and, and some of the people that you you just uh, talked about, I mean, there are people that I follow on Twitter. I'm I'm sort of like I'm I'm sort of like with you, it's like I'm not necessarily going to read a review before I see the movie and am able to formulate my own opinion of it. Yeah. Then I'll read into read see what other people think about it. 
the exception to that is if it's maybe a movie that I'm probably on the fence about seeing. Mm. And it's like, eh, I'm not quite sure if I want to see it. Let me see what other yeah. people are say- saying about it. But yeah. yeah, I mean, for the most part, I'm also somebody who I, I definitely read. I, I'm, I'm very much like you. It's like I, I, there are a lot of novels and stuff like in books I want to read that doesn't necessarily, but I don't necessarily have the patience to read. So yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> and, and I feel, I feel sometimes like people give me shit for it. Like reading is so great. I'm like, yeah, but so is a movie. And like, yeah. <laughs> I love movies so much. And I get that not every book can be able to be a movie. And I guess that you can do more with creating a movie, you know, creating the world in your own mind when yeah. you're reading a book. But I'm like, I'm going to trust that to the vision, you know, the visionary director. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's what I like. And I, and honestly, when it comes to like time, there's no way, I mean, if I can meet somebody who's got this great balance of like watching TV, watching movies and reading books and listening to music, like, yo, congratulations. Because yeah. <laughs> as many movies as I watched, like before COVID shut the world down, I was at the movie theater three to five times a week. Mm-hmm. Plus I'm a husband and I'm a father. So like, I, you know, and, and not to mention, I also, I addiction, oh, I don't want to say addiction. It's a good addiction. I listen to, you know, about eight to 10 hours of podcasts daily. So I would not be able to find the right time personally to incorporate that too. And I like the way my life is right now. So, yeah. Oh no, that, yeah. I mean, even, even before, uh, even before COVID it's like, I was, it, it was one of those things where it's like, it just was, there's so much like, I'm not necessarily going to the theater three to five times a week, but I'm watching things constantly. And, you know, sometimes it's for most of the time that's for review. Like there's very little time for like there's very little opportunity for me to watch a movie just for the sake of watching it or watching yeah. a TV show just for the sake of watching it. It's like I there are very few TV shows I get into anymore. And it's because of the fact that I just don't have the commitment to it, the time or the commitment to it. It's, yeah, it's I mean, so much. Let me ask you this question, because it's something I've been thinking about. As film critics, when you watch something for leisure, do do you feel like you have a responsibility to tell people what you watched and what you thought about it? Like, there's not much that I watch now where I'm like, man, I'm just not going to talk about it. Like, or like I'll have every intention of like you know of saying something on Twitter or on Insta or whatever, and I just don't get around to it. But that's different. But like, right. there's not really much of an occasion where I feel like if I watch something, I feel like I I have a responsibility to tell people what I thought of it. Especially if it's something that I've been interested in watch in writing about for a while, I will like write a review on it. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that I've already I've reviewed before, I've watched several times before, unless there's something distinct about that that I see in that experience that crosses my mind, yeah, I mean there's there's not really especially if it's a movie that I've seen before. I don't really, I won't necessarily say anything about it. just be, you know, if I'm watching it with my wife or watching it with friends, you know, yeah, that's, that's one thing I might, you know, I might post about it. I might say, Hey, I'm watching so-and-so, you know, just to let people know what I'm doing. But unless there's something like even, I mean, even new movies, like I just watched, uh, I just caught up with the hunt a couple of days ago. Okay. And it's like, 
Now, normally, if I'd seen that when it first came out, I would have probably written about it. But ultimately, yeah. I, I, but honestly, watching it, I'm like, there's not really a whole lot for me to say about this movie that I want to say. Like, so I tweeted about it. I said, hey, I finally saw The Hunt. Here's what I thought about. But that's basically all I'll write about it. You know what? Like, I, and like, you kind of touched the two things, right? Which I think is pretty interesting. It's like, if you don't have a particular, like, vested interest in something after you watched it, you're just like, kind of indifferent on it, Yeah. then I don't think it's like a responsibility, right? Right. But also, I think timing is really precious too, right? Like, the conversation for the hunt, and, and I feel this, you know, as a writer, as a film critic, and as a, you know, as a film podcaster, it's like, yo, I have a, you know, a, 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 a timeline of when I feel like this content is essential. And if I feel like it's past that, it lessens my, you know, my intentionality Mm -hmm. to get it out. Right. Um, So like, you know, for example, like with the hunt, you know, that was the last week before we went into total shutdown. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a little bit longer leash to kind of enter that in the conversation. Because honestly, you know, if you tweet that now, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of attach rate to a response, unless it's something that folks, I will say the hunt was a bit divisive. I didn't care for it much at all. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at, like at that time, so like it was definitely one of those things where the timing of it can play. into like how people are going to interact with that. But um, I, I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting question that I will pose later on Twitter. Thank you very much for the, <laughs> for the inspiration. Um, but you know, and the thing is if I had seen it and you're right about that, because if I had seen it that weekend, or if I'd seen it like when they when Universal made it available on video on demand, I would have been more inclined to write about it, maybe. But even then, I mean, it's not necessarily a guarantee because it's like, do I really have enough to say to add to this conversation? Mm. Now, mm. Like, now I will say, like when I caught up with Invisible Man last month. That was like, you know what? I do have things I want to say about this movie. And so it's like, yeah, I will approach that one and write that, write a review of that one. It, it's, you know, timing plays a part in it, but also the, the work itself. Like, if the work inspires the writing, writing about it, then, I mean, that's, that's ultimately the most important part, I think. No, I think you're, I think you're spot on with that, man. So, having worked on the creative side of things when it comes to movies, is there something from that experience that you that you try to bring into your looking at films from a critical standpoint? Absolutely. Um, while I don't believe that you need a degree in the same way you don't need a degree to be a filmmaker. You don't need a degree to critique film. Yeah. Um, I think it's great in understanding all of the all of the components and elements to what goes into filmmaking to not only have a, a, a true respect of it, but to be able to analyze and be a critique of it mm-hmm. in a fair way too, right? Um, one, as a defender of all films, which <laughs> I believe if you want to be a critic, like you should be able to like, like you should be able to like love movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like. It's funny in college, I recognize that there are people who critique certain like subjects of like life, but like they don't like, for example, like, you know, I went to a, a little Bible college. I don't want to say little, it's pretty damn big now. Um, <laughs> but I went to a little Bible college, Southeast University um, in Central Florida, right? And 
I like you know there's there's theologians, you know, folks who study religion, and then there's academic theologians who these are people who don't believe in religion, but they study it. Mm-hmm. And I find I find that to be amazing. Like I can't imagine like in a film space that someone can be a film critic but not believe into like you know uh, the art of film or like have a passion for it. Like yeah. right. Um, so in that same respect, I'm like, I want to be able to approach the way that I critique films from not only the love of me being in the audience, but understanding everything that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so growing up with a theater background and one, first and foremost, I am an actor. I'm still a working actor. I think I'm a damn good one. So what appeals to me are it's going to be a performance inside of a film. And I, because I've been trained, I'm able to pick up on certain things like, you know, how the way an actor is acting with their body, how the way is acting by reacting to another, you know, a performer that they're, you know, playing alongside with. The things that they're doing with their affectations and stuff. Because I've been trained in that way, I feel like that my critical eye is going to, you know, maybe a little bit, you know, deeper than someone else's where someone like my best friend who, you know, we both went, you know, study film program, you know, this film program at the school, his critical eye is more so in like the directing landscape. So he completely understands like the components of, you know, putting together how it looks on film, the cinematography, the cinematography aspects, you know, like different, you know, um, camera, you know, techniques and stuff like that, where my, my lens is not as acute to that. Um, so being able to actively work in front of the camera as well as behind the camera, um, you know, from either from a producer standpoint with writing, I can understand how you, the movie that you had designed on the page may not have translated on the screen. It's my job as a critic without knowing the goal of the director and not only the success of how it makes it on screen, but also understanding what could have happened that would have made it to this. And that may allow me to kind of discount my overall reception, you know, my, my, my overall like you know, interpretation of it. And I think that that's fair because one, I make sure to disclose that when I'm talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very different where I said, oh, you know, it wasn't that bad. Well, I want to go into why that wasn't that bad. Like, yeah. you know, right now, you know, I'm working on this uh, DCEU rewatch. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of people that, fair or unfair, have a uh, perception of Zack Snyder and his films and they've already made up in their mind that they're not going to like them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Justice League is garbage. No, most films aren't garbage. That doesn't mean that there's not a lot of garbage films. There are. But I can understand, like, oh, this makes sense, you know, as to why he made this decision. And I can understand why it may or may not have translated onto the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my background in filmmaking aids me in being a pretty dope critic. You know, but it's not something that's required. I wouldn't want people oh, no, to think that. No, it's, I, it's a nice I, little it's a nice little bit of flavor yeah. to us. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. And I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like if you look at the it's funny because if you look at the French New Wave, it's like they were critics of film before they started making film. And mm. so it's it's one of those. And and so, yeah, I, I think it is interesting, like even even though you you are right it doesn't you don't need to have experience making a film i think to critique a film i do think it does help or it it's it gives a different aspect to if you especially if you can talk about your personal experiences in terms of like what your experiences are as far as making movies or making tv or what have you and yeah. sort of bring that into the conversation when mm-hmm. you're talking about films because 
I mean, my my first love was movies or music, and I love film soundtracks. And I've composed new music. I've composed. I've done a couple film scores, and that experience is so. Film music is something that really interests me in a movie, whether it's used or not used, mm-hmm. how it's used and not used. And so it's one of those things where it's like it, in a lot of cases, I'm especially if it's something that really stands out and to sort of and to sort of tie into what you were saying as far as your DCEU rewatch, mm-hmm. like I love like, first of all, I will say, I, and I told you this in private, where it's like, I listened to your uh, pod on Man of Steel, and I, I very much agree with everything you said, because I, one of the things I loved about Man of Steel was the fact that it was essentially a science fiction film, and it, it essentially was the day the Earth stood still with Superman. Yeah, and I, I <laughs> very much so. I love that aspect yeah. of it, because of the fact that it treated Superman as an alien, you know, and you're absolutely right. He's usually treated very much like an American as opposed to this alien thing that would really scare people. But yeah. my point in going there was because of the fact that one of my favorite scores the past couple of years was actually the score for Aquaman by Rupert Gregson Williams. Mm. And it's like, I just love listening to that. And it reminds me of, I love, first of all, I've, I've done predominantly electronic music. So that's, so using synthesizers and stuff like that, that's what interests me about that. Yeah. And then just the way he builds themes in it, the way he builds atmosphere, the way he uses moods and motifs and stuff like that is just really engaging in this big goofy sci-fi universe yeah and i think it's great the way that you just explained that in kind of relation to your question i think that having that background what we can also do while we're critiquing a film is that we are teaching whatever audience we have right regardless Mm -hmm. of our listenership but regardless of our readership just the way that you broke down and talking about the music because in my opinion when you when you when you mentioned the music well you did you did say score in my mind, just instantly, I went to the music of Aquaman, which didn't I didn't love, but it wasn't the score that was a problem. It was the soundtrack and the way that it was implemented, like that 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 um that Pitbull, oh, you know, uh, Africa yes. song. Yes. And I'm like, oh, it, br- it instantly <laughs> brings me back to when Aquaman and Mirror are coming out the water. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> oh, I, you know, but like, don't, don't the, get but me wrong. You're yeah. able to teach your audience that <laughs> the differences between score and soundtrack yeah. and overall music and stuff like that. So, if but imagine if you didn't have that background, you may not have been able to explain it that way, right? And and yeah, that 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 Pitbull cover of Africa is atrocious. It's so bad. <laughs> like yeah, that's just where it was placed and everything too. I'm just like, oh god. Um. But no, and but the thing is, it's what's interesting is that yes, obviously distinguishing soundtrack and score, but also recognizing the the impact of using songs, like part of the reason that Pitbull song is so bad in that movie is that a it's it's a it's it's a ridiculous cover. It really is. Stupid, really but is. also doesn't really serve an emotional purpose whatsoever to the no. movie. 
Yeah. But if you look at something like the uh, cover of Over the Rainbow in Face Off, in that particular moment in Face Off, you can see exactly what John Woo is using, doing with that piece of music in that moment. Or, and then she kissed me during the Copacabana scene in Goodfellas. Or it's like you understand what Scorsese is doing with that song in that moment. And that's one of the, that is another reason why, you know, music, musical choices can sink or swim or make, make a movie sink or make, can make it swim. And Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, and so it's interesting to see why certain choices. Now, some choices are made for purely, you know, oh, we need something good for the soundtrack to be able to sell the mm -hmm. soundtrack. But other things are like, okay, so this is going to be, here's why this song is important for this moment. Yeah. Um, what are, who are, who are some of the filmmakers that you appreciate, you find you appreciate most? Oh man. Um, I love, I use films as an escape. So I love being able to go just to like to different worlds. Um, cause obviously if we look outside of what the world looks like right now, it's tough and we would also want to escape from that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love being able to like tackle the way how auteurs will want to discuss what society looks like today. I mean, that's the point of art, right? Holding up a reflection of what's going on in the outside world. But I mean, if you can take me away to a place, um, I mean, I'm all the way, I'm all the way that I know, like from an, uh, an early age, sci-fi is like one of my favorite genres. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say that one of my favorite sci-fi films is Luke Besson's The Fifth Element. Yeah. It's fun. It's big action. Mm. It's got characters that you remember. It's got really great performances. I mean, you know, what Mila Jovovich does as Lilu Dallas, um, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like one, as a little boy at that age, like, granted, you know, I was 11 years old, but like, yeah. you know. <laughs> let's just say she's a well put together woman and uh you know she's got this bright orange hair and she's full of life and just like how colorful all these characters were you know one like i mentioned you know how i discovered films i watched something and i got on something else big chris tucker to be able to see what he did as ruby rod like this yeah. shock shock <laughs> interspace you know you know dj and just like i loved it i would probably play his entrance it's one of the greatest like you know entrances into any movie period yeah. when he gets introduced you know on the on the cruise to flossed in paradise so like i love being able to go to these worlds crazy i didn't grow up a Star Wars fan. I was a Star Trek kid. So like my dad was watching Next Generation all the time. You know, John Luke, that's my captain. You know, uh, James Avery from Deep Space Nine, that's my guy. You know, like he even named he named my brother off of <laughs> off of that off of that character and stuff like that. So like that's that's what I grew up with. But just being able to understand those different worlds. So any director that's got a big mind, a big imagination, I don't care if they pull it off or not. I'll give like just a shout out for like even going for it. So like, obviously Nolan and I've got a lot of respect for a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, a, a lot of other interesting folks, like seeing what, you know, um, what people can be able to do in the horror space, like what James Wan is doing mm. uh, or like, you know, um, honestly, there, there's, there's so many, I'm a fan of just like big worlds, so, like any director that can take me someplace um, and bring me someplace new. I'm with it. Even that really, really, 
Wait, did he do that too? Did look? Yeah, Luke Besson did Valerian, didn't he? Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I love what Valerian was going for. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I'm a big Luke Besson fan because I like the way how his mind thinks. You know, bringing me into the world of like what the Wachowskis did with the um, with with the Matrix, right? Like yeah. I am all the way with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're obviously like, we've been under, we've been in this new world. You know, we, we talked about COVID-19 and when everything shut down, when we were talking about the hunt earlier, we're now coming to the point where things are starting to open back up and movie theaters are starting to open back up. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on what do you think why do you think that's how long do you think it will take for you to want to be able come be able to go back into into a movie theater at this point all right well uh controversial opinion i'll be there opening day uh <laughs> you know i i i would agree that i'm in the minority um yeah. i'm not one of those that believe that this is a hoax this is, that this is fake it's not this is very real um People have been directly and indirectly impacted by this worldwide pandemic, and it's really tough. Um, but a lot of folks have had to move on. I live in a red state. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Um, they don't care what the orders are. They're opening back up and have been doing so for weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I am thankful and gracious that I have not been directly impacted. I've also been responsible in trying to do everything that I can to not directly impact others. Yeah. Um, I think when I say to people that I'm making the decision that when my AMC opens back up, and granted, keep in mind, guys, for context, I was at the movie theater three to five times a week. Having that gone away for three months has been rough. You know, I don't enjoy watching movies at home as much as I do in the theater. Like, and and that's my right to. Like, I go to the theaters for an experience. I can't get that experience at home. So when AMC and Regal, and let's take my AMC because I love my AMC, (laughs) I believe that that company and its employees are going to do everything in their power to create a safe space for moviegoers, right? And obviously that comes with caveats. Mm -hmm. Um, In the same way that we have a lot of other industries and businesses creating a safer way to be able to patronize a restaurant, a safer way to be able to shop at a grocery store, a safer way to be able to do all the regular things that we want to do, but because of COVID, we'd had to adjust. Yeah. I think this is going to be the same thing. You know, I do not want to see the movie theater industry go away because of an unprecedented, you know, impact mm-hmm. to them economically due to COVID-19, right? Um, so when they open up, I know that they're going to have less than 50% capacity, probably somewhere around that 30% number. The good thing is where my local theater is, and this is a personal choice for everybody, and I'll explain that personal choice. There was no more than 10 to 15 people in my theater anyway when I go to a place. Um, I will not be there, you know, during peak hours, like on a yeah. Thursday, Friday, or Saturday yeah. night. So, like, I'm going to remove that. Um, but other times, one, I get my tickets well enough in advance. I can get an idea of where I'm going to be seated. Um, I know that the tickets that will be available will be social distance themselves, probably two, you know, um, uh, um, two you know, seats in yeah. between each other yeah. at the very minimum. I'll be gloved up. I'll be masked up. I carry my own hand sanitizer and personal disinfectant wipes with me everywhere that I go, right? Um, I'm still debating whether I'm going to do food. But then again, to be honest with you, let's not pretend like people aren't ordering out and getting food anyway. So yeah, exactly. you know, I, I, I don't like to like have that come into the argument. 
But the argument, the counter argument that I get, well, Kobe, it's a personal choice for you. Yeah. But it's not about if you get it, it's if you give to someone. Mm-hmm. Let me tell everybody this, right? I myself can only speak for myself. In the past three months, I've been very wary of how close I am to someone. I think that we've learned a lot about this virus, yeah. especially recently. And I'm not saying that we blew it out of proportion in the beginning, but I remember in the you know in the, in, in late March hearing, hey, if somebody touches something there, COVID, you gonna die. Yeah. And or not exactly to that extent, yeah. but that's what the sentiment was. It lives on these you know on these surfaces for you know 24, 48 hours, right? Where mm-hmm. you don't want to touch anything. I think that we've learned that's not really the case. Yeah. Really, if you're if you're in someone's personal space, like if you were like you know nose to nose to someone who has it, yeah, you' about to get it. It has to be able to affect your respiratory system. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past three months, I've done very well, even with doing my um, my regular routine and errands, where I have not touched anyone outside of my immediate family, <laughs> um, and I'm pretty proud of that. Right, yeah. so. I'm going to be responsible in the same way I want folks to be responsible. And I'm going to be at the movie theater. Um, you know, I know that there's not going to be a lot to choose from. You're not going to have 10 brand new films that are going to be waiting for us in the middle of July. Yep. You're going to have a lot of oldies. But, hey, there's some of those oldies I've never seen. I don't want to pass up on the opportunity. Yeah. Of being, like I, I tweeted this out yesterday. I've never seen in full, you know, from start to finish, Empire Strikes Back. I love it to be on the big screen for my first time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, and and – you know, well, first of all, we we've talked about this on Twitter because I think we talked about this uh, on Twitter a few months ago. But you know, I'm I I work for Regal, so mm-hmm. you know. But trust me, I respect your you know I respect your preference, AMC. I I get it. Um, wait, wait, hold on, wait, wait. You're here in Atlanta, right? I'm in Kansas. Kansas, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, Kansas. cool. Yeah. So I. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, but I, so I, I completely know how we're handling mm-hmm. it, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> quote here, unquote. here in Georgia. And um, no, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm somebody who it's like, I don't know that I'll necessarily go to a lot of movies to start out. And mm-hmm. I mean, granted, I'll be at the movie theater anyway, because I work there. But yeah. the fact of the matter is, it's like, I'm still, you know, I'm like you. It's like I've been very conscious. I've been very conscious and, you know, making sure I'm keeping safe distance between people whenever I do go out. I limit the interactions when I do go out. I don't go out as much as I used to. And you know what? When I go back to work, that's still kind of going to be the case. It's like unless there's a reason for me to go out, I'm not necessarily going to go out. And And you know what? That. That's a good thing because, like, the fact that you are an employee, right? Those folks who are like, you shouldn't go to the movie theater. Like, you don't have a choice. You work there. Yeah. So, like, what does that do? Like, no matter what, you are still, you still have a responsibility, not only to you and your family, but like to be safe. So, it'd be very, it'd be very different if it's a matter of should movie theaters open or not. Because they are, then I feel like, okay, we no longer need to entertain that. It's not like, should they be open or not? They are. Those same yeah. people that are going to have to work there, they don't have the luxury of saying, well, I don't feel comfortable or not. Like, no, they have to go. Right. Just like all of these other businesses have to be open, these essential businesses. And we are in, you know, these phases. Would I love us to have a vaccine, like, immediately? I wouldn't take it immediately, I'll tell you that. <laughs> like, I wait for, like, whatever. <laughs> I wait for it to, like, kind of do its thing a little bit for a yeah. little while. But, yeah. like, we're going to be one to two years out for a vaccine and yeah. don't really know how this behaves. 
all we can do, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian man. So, you know, I'm be prayed up, you know, I'm be gloved up and be safe. But like, yeah, you, you're in an interesting spot. The fact that no matter what anybody thinks about it, yeah. I got to make sure that I'm doing my job as an employee of this theater. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, um, you know, and I know for us, like, we're not going to be selling everything that we normally did. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're, I think we're probably just going to have, like, popcorn drinks and candies, I think, to start yeah. out. So I think AMC not is not, their dining theaters aren't going to be, like, they're going to try to open that up in phases, but, yeah. like, like, not to yeah. start out with. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think Regal's the exact same way. And uh, <laughs> I think it's, you know, and obviously there are going to be social distancing seating. It's like you'll be able to order your hand your tickets obviously you can do that online anyway you can do mm -hmm. and i think regal is going to try to make it to where you can order contactless payment where it's like you can pay through the app for your concessions and yeah in addition so i'm curious to see what that's going to look like when i go back mm -hmm. um but i think we're also only gonna we're not gonna have full a full day of shows like we're not yeah. gonna necessarily have the later shows. And mm -hmm. I'm sort of like and it's funny because we you know, my theater, the theater I work at is the same with your theater where it's like, you know, ten to fifteen people in a theater, it's that's a busy that's a yeah. that's a busy show. <laughs> Because you know, that's how where theaters make their money. They make their money on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yeah, and Sunday. Exactly. Like you know, what I'm saying so. Like <laughs> you know, and, and Sunday, it's really you know, like it slows back down in the in the evening time. So mm -hmm. it's very different. And I think that people who may not understand like you know, like how the, like economics work in that, like that is where it, one. It's going to be tough. I know that they have to open. And if they didn't open, th like one, I know for, for Regal and AMC. They've got money that they owe to these creditors, and they got to pay that regardless. Yeah. So they needed to open up now. I'm glad that they're going to have Mulan as an interesting test case and then Tenet as an interesting test yes. case. Personally, for films, I mean, I'm not looking forward to Mulan for you know different reasons. Um, I just haven't been impressed by the trailers. Um, and it's one, I, I, I guess I'll go into a little more. It's not your typical Disney family-friendly film. Like, yeah. it's not. It, it does not have, and I'm sorry, like, we're in this space. It does not have a recognizable American lead uh, mm -hmm. in it. At least for Aladdin, you can be able to sell this Aladdin remake with Will Smith. Yeah, yeah. you cannot exactly. do that with Mulan. So you're, you're, there's a, there was already going to be a risk that there's no bankable star mm -hmm. in this film. It's completely set, you know, in you know, it, you know, in um, you know, in, in I don't want to say is it not feudal, China, right? Is it feudal? Whatever. It's not set in America. Yeah. And like, and, and as much like that's, that's harsh. That's how theater goers respond. So mm -hmm. only thing they're going to go off of is that it's Mulan and then that Disney label. Yeah. The fact that knowing that the film is one of the most expensive films ever for Disney, right? Like it costs like almost like 300, $300 million. Yeah, something like that. The bar to set just for it to be even the discussion of being successful. Traditionally, if there was no COVID was you better open up to a hundred million dollar opening weekend. Yeah. It's not going to sniff a hundred million dollars. No, just no. numbers wise, it can't because now average you'll get four to five showings in a theater. Right. Disney is going to do everything in their power to try to get seventy five percent of it. Uh, yes. To say, hey, you know what? Give us seventy five percent of your screens. No, are you kidding me? Because, <laughs> but now 
there's really not much competition. Even if they get 75% of their screens, let's say a 10 screen average at a theater at, all right. I mean, if you want to do the whole four to five showings, great. That's at 30% capacity. There are not enough people coming to get to a hundred million dollars. No, not even. And if you're telling me that once we open up, you're not going to have another film the week after, but two weeks later, you're going to have tenant. Yeah. Which I, I still have my my various about tenant. I don't think the numbers make sense for it. I'm I'm fine with waiting on tenant because I wanted to be I wanted to do well, right? Yeah. Um, if it's if it's stuck with that seven, you know, was was it seven seventeen, right? That date or whatever. Um, the fact that it says it wanted to be the first to open up. All right, cool. But now if you're not gonna be the first, yo, move back because I don't yeah. think that you're gonna make the money. So it's it's we'll we'll see. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's 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 definitely gonna be interesting to see, but it's like. I, you know, th- at the same time, like with Mulan, where, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The numbers are not going to add up at, at all. Even, even if you're lucky enough to get a percentage of the worldwide that you would normally get, which you're not going to get, because nope. they're going through the same issues we are. Um, at the same time, the, the whole question of, oh, we'll just put cutter losses put on disney plus you can't do that with mulan like you have to at least try to get some money out of it and the thing is it's like because of the fact that i know we're only opening up like eight auditoriums to start out so it's Mm -hmm. like yeah you're you're going to be but i mean honestly part i'm kind of glad for that because that means we don't have to worry about 16 auditorium i mean we'll We'll have that extra time to clean the yeah. 16 auditorium. And maybe yeah. the way it'll work is like these eight work one day, these eight are the next day, and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. I think that, you know what? I never thought about it like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Because I there's 16 yeah. auditoriums at my, my AMC and Parkway Point in Cumberland. Like that's that's my AMC, you know? So yeah, it doesn't make sense to have this entirely open, you know, shift it around so that way you can like, you know, you know, even I'm not too sure how they're gonna be doing like the deep cleaning process, but like, you know, don't try to put too much on your workers. I mean, one, they've yeah, been exactly. unemployed, they've been unemployed completely, you know, for some of them yeah. for you know two and a half months, you know. So uh, you know, it's great to kind of open things up gradually. I think that, man, I never thought about that. That makes a lot of sense <laughs> yeah. to like kind of rotate between the, especially if, when I worked in a movie theater back in college, when I was running film <laughs> through projectors, um, now everything's digital. So oh, yeah. that should be it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've had that experience as a projectionist too. So it's like, yeah, 16 theaters is, that's, that's mm. a lot to, yeah. Doing all of those in like an hour, it's like, oh yeah, I've got to get that thread up. I've got to go through that yeah i love projection i adored projection it's like a part of me died when we went all digital um yeah because of the fact yeah the projectionist was like the coolest job in the theater it's like i'm not projectionist it was was something i I had wanted to do and then when i became a manager i finally had the opportunity to do it and it's like i i love this and it's like and part of it was because i didn't have to deal with the customers but But now everything's digital. It's like, okay, I'll just go into software. I'll do this. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> That's it. This, 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 this is not as exciting. Um, I mean, the only thing that, in my opinion, I, I think, unfortunately, Mulan is not going to be a financial success. Um, 
I mean, unless they're looking at like the complete optimal, like, hey, listen, you know, we've already we already knew that we were going to be, you know, receiving a lot of losses because they did they did so much heavy marketing for the lot. So, I mean, that's that's a completely sunk cost. That's not doing anything for you right now. You've spent, you know, let's say 50 million dollars in that marketing back in March. And that goes nowhere. Now you're gonna have to rev it all the way back up. And you can imagine that at the end of this week, because usually at that point, you know, we'll be two weeks out. That's where you're going to start seeing more and more of the ad marketing from Mulan back. Now that's more money spent. And then still to be in a market where you're not going to be able to make it. Like in order for this movie to make money, like they want this to be a billion dollar franchise. There's no reason why it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be like in the same way that Aladdin was, you know, close to a billion dollars. The same thing with, you know, Lion King. That's what they expected of Mulan, if not even more because of the international appeal. And they're not going to get that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, so while uh, during the past few months, uh, without movies in the theaters, what have you been? Uh, what have you been watching in the uh, meantime? Yeah, I mean, even though I prefer my theatrical experience, and it has been challenging to get in the mood to watch a movie while at home, I've been watching a lot of series and mm-hmm. some of the big movies that have happened. I mean, Netflix, a hey, they definitely were available at the right time during this pandemic to take up. The, like as much of the market share that they already didn't have, right? Um, so Netflix has been great. And I'm glad that they had enough stuff in the can that they've been able to like put out. I've been really impressed with how they've used 20, like 2019, I think was the one of the best years for Netflix in regards to cultivating an atmosphere like a movie theater. Like, cause before for a lot of years, you just never knew what was on Netflix. You just knew that there was stuff there, but like you never knew how to find something or to even have anticipation to look forward to something. They're still working on that. Like you generally don't know when something's coming out till two weeks before. And you know, like, and, and then honestly, you really don't know until it says it's now available. Um, as where with movies, think about all the movies. We generally have a sense of knowing when it's coming out. Like we may not know the exact date, but I know, hey, I know at the beginning of May, we had Black Widow to look forward to. I knew that, you know, around 4th of July, we had Wonder Woman to look forward to and so on and so forth. Where with Netflix, you really didn't have that. Since COVID, they've been making sure that, hey, this is what's coming to Netflix, yeah. um, especially their own platform and then all the other social platforms. So, you know, Extraction enjoyed um you know that was a, a big netflix one uh obviously most recently the five bloods absolutely loved that film one of spike lee's very best and it's eerie how timely it was like yeah. you would think that they just they just literally got out of <laughs> they just got out of production it was like hey we got this as a response to like what's going on right now um but i mean that says a lot in itself um so i mean a lot of the big netflix stuff i watched unfortunately very very little of the pvod stuff which I kind of feel bad about because these are, this is stuff that not a hundred percent was going to go into theater, but I'd say a bulk of them were yeah. going to go to like some yeah. type of indie theater or get like a one to two week run at an AMC or at a Regal. And I built my anticipation for those titles for that. And honestly, and this may sound kind of whack. I do not value that $20 perch that turned into yeah. $20 rental. Yeah. And it's making me not want to watch it because, like, for the past two years now, granted, I've got the benefit, you know, I have my, you know, my best friend, he's a GM at an AMC, so I watch a lot of stuff on his dime. Yeah. But I still, ha- I still am an A list member. Yeah. That twenty two dollars gets me three films a week, mm-hmm. and I was gonna make these films that I'm about to <laughs> supposedly pay twenty dollars for that. So I don't want to do it in yeah. my mind, and I haven't really reasoned it yet. 
I'm like, somehow, some way, I'm probably going to watch in the movie theater. Or because I've already delayed at this point, I'll just wait till it's like the regular rental price of three to five bucks or if it goes to Redbox, you know? And I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of other Americans that are like me. PVOD sounds great, Mm -hmm. but it's not like the only option. And because I'm not pressed for time or anything like that, I'll get around to it when it's a bit more affordable. Yeah. No, and and that was that was the exact same thing with me where it's like I I just couldn't I couldn't justify that twenty dollar rental for as much as I was looking forward to Invisible Man, I couldn't justify spending twenty dollars just to lose access to it after two to three days. Four hours. Like, yeah, that's I mean that's a lot. Or like we all know that in three months, and I think it's even been shorter for a lot of for you know for yeah. some titles. It's going to be available to purchase at Target or Walmart yeah. for probably less than 20 bucks yep. or max 25 bucks. Yeah. Like the way that Scoob did theirs where it's like, hey, it's available to rent or to purchase for $25. Yeah. Great. I'll buy it for 25 bucks because mm-hmm. for a lot of the stuff that I like, I'm going to end up buying it in the future anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I mean I will say because I have a daughter, you know, I did the PVOD for – Trolls 2 right. and for Scoob. And I right. fucked up because I accidentally purchased it twice for Trolls 2. <laughs> oh my God. It was a whole mess. You know, so I got $40 out of that. But like, that's only because, like, for, you know, for, for that family appeal. But like, I really want to yeah. see Buffalo Sway Deutsch. You know, I really wanted to see, um, you know, the King of Staten Island that just came out, right? I really wanted to see the high note. I really wanted to be able to see, uh, oh my God, what was the other one? Swallow, right? Yeah. Um, I just cannot justify that 12 to 20 bucks for that one, right. you know, you know, title. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, and a part of me feels bad. Like, damn, you know, why am I not supporting? Well, technically if this is, if this COVID wasn't a thing, I wouldn't have been supporting in that way anyway. You right. know, like it's right. You know, like I watched 143 movies at the movie theater last year. It's going to be hard for me to try to dole out money for an experience. That's not at the movie theater. Yeah. And you know, that's me. Yeah. Oh, no. And I, yeah, now I completely get it. I mean, you know, it's like we, like we, we ended up buying Invisible Man and it's like when it came out on Blu-ray. So it's like, okay, so yeah. that. And this doesn't seem so different than what my buying would have been before. Basically same price. And it's like, guess what? I own it now. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I w- just wait, cause I've still got Netflix DVD. So oh, it's like, that's how I watched The Hunt. That's how I watched The Way Back. It's like now I think the way now Warner Brothers they did make it to where you could just buy it outright digitally. Okay. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I'm not quite sure if I really want to spend that much money. And it's mm-hmm. like, but yeah, the rentals, it's like, I I'm sorry, I can't do that. Now the thing is, it's like I do see that being especially if studios don't necessarily think that it's going to be a big monster hit like the Pixar movies or anything like that, I can <clears> see them doing the uh, video on demand rentals like that in the future for a lot of family movies. Cause I mean, Paramount just announced that for Spon- the next SpongeBob. Yep. They're going to do that for PVOD. The thing is, is that, okay. <laughs> With that PVOD model, can there be money to be made? Yes, because if essentially if you are if you are making 80%, you know, off of that title and giving the 20% to whatever like, you know, outlet that you're going to have it on, the Voodoo, the Fandango, whatever, right? So I I get that, right? Like the yeah. numbers wise, you can make money. I, I saw all those different reports of trolls. 
I would hate to use Trolls performance and some of these other ones as like, oh, this shows that it works. No, no, no. This shows that it works in a global pandemic where there yeah. are no other alternatives. <laughs> like, not only are there other movies, there's there's not other movies as competition. The theater itself is not in competition, right? right? So, yeah. like, that I think personally that would be foolish for these studios to think, like, let's do it. I think it's fine, like, to give it a try. I'm not down for the whole we're going to release it in the theater and at home for the same, you know, at yeah. the same time. That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, ultimately, I know what I've been taught in school when I took my, you know, my, my, my film economics class. You make a movie for $100 million, you probably put, let's say, we'll round up and, and put like, you know, 25, look, around, round down, $25 million of marketing. In order to be in the black, you need to make $125 million back. Obviously, there's a window that you would have, let's say, traditionally 90 days at the theater, and you're only getting half of those, you know, of the box office, right? Mm -hmm. For most studios, it's a little bit more than half, but whatever, (laughs) right? And then you have your VOD and rental window, right? And then that way you're getting a bigger percentage, that 80%, possibly even more of that. That's a whole nother revenue stream. And then you have your at-home purchase. That's a whole different revenue stream. You're giving more percentages. That's where you make the money, Mm -hmm. right? And if you get lucky and you open up in the movie theater into a, you know, a worldwide box office, like, you know, you've already made back your, your budget, you know, including marketing, then you know for a fact you're going to be good. I just don't think the number works out for a lot of these titles yeah. to, be, to be able to decide that. Because this is the thing. If I'm an actor and this is what I commanded now, I'm not going to command less just because, you know, <laughs> you know like no, no matter what, like these films are still going to cost a hundred plus yeah. million dollars. Yeah. And my thing is, what does that do for the movies, right? Mm-hmm. That are making like, you know, like Buffalo, I'm pretty sure costs like 10 million. Mm-hmm. So why should Buffalo cost $20 the same way that the way back costs $20? Yeah. Like that's the thing where like you are going to, if you're going to go that route, you're going to have to start pricing individual movies differently. Mm-hmm. Where at the movie theater, take the movies aren't priced differently. No. This is your general admission to any movie you want. And I think once you start getting into the area where you have to price your movie differently when everybody can see it, that's where it's going to get like really, really tough. Yeah. Because now as a performer, I'm saying, hey, regardless of like what my salary is, I now have to worry about whether or not like what it's going to be priced at. Mm-hmm. Because the movie theater is going to say, hey, listen, you know, unfortunately, based on this project that we're working on and stuff like that, um, you know, we don't think it's going – like we're going to – have this movie for $12, right? Like Promising Young Woman. I cannot wait to watch Promising Young Woman, mm. right? It probably wouldn't have made a lot of money in the theater, yeah. but I also couldn't see it like being listed for 20 bucks. No. You know, because like it's it doesn't have like that four quadrant appeal to it, right? It's for like very sex. So it's like, you know, if I'm Carrie Mulligan, I'm just, am I just supposed to be like, um, yeah, so I'm going to sign off for this for like, you know, like 30% less? Like, no, that's not, that's not how it's done. So yeah. I I feel like there's so many things that we have to really look at it. I would, I think it would be foolish to say this is going to be the way it goes. Um, so, right. and anybody who thinks that this is going to be the way it goes, think again. There's going to be a lot of things that are taken. This, this next, the two weeks that we're going to have in July, you know, um, where essentially theaters open up, that's going to say a lot about what happens going forward. Because you have a lot of films that were pushed out by a year. Yeah. Some of those may try to find a spot where they can come back exactly. in the fall, especially if they're seen. And I think that that's going to be really interesting. You know, we don't we don't have a release date for Dune yet. I've got no idea. Is it going to go into 2021? Yeah. Is it going to come in 2020? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think of. 
but first, before we uh, before we wrap things up, uh, where can people uh, find you? On yeah, man. Um, yeah, I am a little bit of everywhere. Um, you can find me on all my socials at Colby Told Me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Facebook if you're still into that at Colby Mac. When I'm in the mood to write, you can check out my website, ColbyToldMe.com, and listen to me on every major podcast platform, the Colby Told Me podcast. It's my whenever I want to just deep dive with myself, talking about whatever I want, whenever I want. So that way, when they ask you where you heard it from, you can tell them Colby told me. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining me. It's, uh, and it's good to finally talk to you. Absolutely, brother. And now knowing that you're just like, I want to say, you're just up the road. You're like 15, 20 miles up the road in yeah. Kennesaw. Uh, when things are safer, I'd love to catch a movie with you, brother. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I know we we talked about that with uh, Kevin, who's in town. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'd like to thank Colby for joining me today on the podcast. It was really fun to uh, talk to him about movies, learn about uh, where he's coming from when it comes to movies. And uh Sort of what he, you know, what he and I think as far as what's going to happen heading into this next chapter af- as movie theaters start to open back up is going to be interesting. And I think he's he's got some excellent points there. And I think it's one of those things that's definitely going to be interesting to look at. Uh, that's it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, you can check this out on the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel, on Apple's op- Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Uh, coming up, I've got some uh, more deep dive uh, discussions about some older movies coming up with some friends. And uh, we'll. Uh, that's it for me for now. Uh, thank you to patrons at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. Uh, Thank you to everybody who reads sonic-cinema.com and for everybody for Brian for myself uh thank you very much for listening have a good rest of your day <laughs>